Father, we come before you this blessed morning that we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we'd ask that you would provide for us wisdom as we intermingle with family members and friends who don't know you during this Christmas time. Give us boldness, but Father, don't give us any kind of contempt. Help us to be loving in our speech, and may it be full of wisdom, seasoned with salt. Uh, If we have meals together, uh, if we're praying for the meal, help us to be bold in the matters concerning you, but again, help us to be loving in the matters concerning those who do not believe. And for those who do believe, Lord, I pray that we could be a witness. And as we continue to go through the book of Luke chapter 2, we would ask that you would bless it, that you would nourish us with it, that you would keep us healthy and alive and on the path to maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last night I gave you some fun facts about Christmas, about Christmas trees and all of that. And one of the things I gave you was it was the highest grossing Christmas film, not the most liked, but the highest grossing Christmas film was How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version. But I have some others that might be of interest to you. Uh, During the Christmas season, nearly 28 sets of Legos are sold every second. Tiny Tim in Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, was almost named Little Fred. St. Francis Assisi began the custom of singing Christmas carols in church in the 13th century. So we are carrying on that tradition today in the 21st century. And the letter X in Xmas is not the removing of Christ. It is simply the Greek abbreviation for Christ. So when you say Xmas, or when you write Xmas, you are still referring to Jesus Christ. The Christmas wreath, you know, there is that circle of life that the Nordic people used to have, but the Christmas wreath is symbolic of Jesus. The red berries symbolize his blood. The holly, the pointed holly, symbolizes the crown of thorns, and of course the eternal life that he offers through the evergreen. All letters addressed to Santa in the United States go to Santa Claus, Indiana. A large part of Sweden's population watches Donald Duck cartoons every Christmas Eve, and they've done that since 1960. And Japanese people traditionally eat at, do you guys know where? Kentucky Fried Chicken for Christmas dinner. That is their habit. A successful campaign 40 years ago has remained popular to this day and that's what they do because they don't celebrate christmas like we do but they go to kfc and many popular christmas songs written by jews did you know that white christmas irving berlin let it snow sammy Kahn, and julia stein others include santa baby the christmas song that's the one that reads though it has been said many times many ways merry christmas to you that was by mel torme I'll Be Home for Christmas, Silver Bells. And Silver Bells was almost named Twinkle Bells, but it was Silver Bells. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by Johnny Marks and Winter Wonderland. All of those songs were written by Jews. And do you guys have any idea what the worst Christmas song that was voted on of all time, what that is? It's Paul McCartney's song, Wonderful Christmas Time is declared by vote to be the worst Christmas song of all time. 
the worst Christmas song that nets for him a half million dollars every year at Christmas because of royalties. And so this Christmas, you know, it's a wonderful time of year. Knowing these facts, it's just kind of fun uh, to have that. But the world itself is not so much interested in Christmas. The world has tried to commercialize it, but they have tried to remove Christmas completely from this time of year. They have called it winter solstice. Uh, it's just, they've called it uh, happy times. They sing songs like uh, deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa la 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 la. And I noticed this morning, I went to Google. And on Google, you know how they have the little Google doodles that are on there above the Google line? You know, if I was saying this 20 years ago, you guys would be saying, what in the world are you talking about? But Google doodles are those little squares that are up there, and they usually have an animation or they change something a little different. Well, when I went there this morning, they had this one little doodle. It was of non-human figures, little shapes with smiles on them. One was knitting, one was drinking. It looked like a cup of coffee or a cup of cocoa. There was no tree, and there were some presents that a couple others were opening, and that was it. There was no mention of Christmas, but if you clicked on it, it went to tis the season. Did you put it up? Oh, there you go. That's, That's what it is. Now, there is another one, and you can see there's no reference whatsoever to Christmas. How big is Christmas in the United States? It's huge. And they're going, yeah, it's not that important, right? Well, there was another one on there when I first clicked. Daryl, I don't know if you can get to it or not, but it also deals with tis the season. They were jolly, non-human figures decking the halls. They were behind glass um, glass windows. I don't know if it's on there or not, but glass windows and they're rubbing out like hearts and circles and things like that. And it was just deck the halls. And both of these, if you click on them, they would go to tis the season. And there is absolutely no mention of Christmas or Christ. Somebody wrote this, Google honored the Hindu festival of Holly earlier this year and the Jewish festival of Tu Ba'av as well as dedicating an entire subpage to the Islamic festival of Ramadan. But heaven forbid that they should honor any of the holidays from the largest religion, which are, all, which are also celebrated by secular people. They get up there with the Easter bunny, but Santa Claus and none of that is in there at all. So the world is really not interested in Christ. They're interested in the season. And what is there to be merry about if we don't recognize what the season is all about? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like giving the gospel, but not talking about the cross. There's no reason for the good news if you don't have the cross. And that's why the cross is central to the gospel. Without the cross, there is no crucifixion. There is no remission of sins. There is no sacrifice for it. God did not send his son, and therefore the gospel is null and void. And so the world wants to take all reference to this out. But as believers, it is our calling to be bold in this area. Not to be obtrusive, not to be obtuse, not to be in your face, but to simply be a gentle witness. 
We don't have to be argumentative about it. We don't have to say things that will end up offending because just the fact of naming Christ will offend those people which are out there. We don't have to purposely go and do it. And so in Luke chapter 2, as we went through last night, we had the census where Caesar Augustus issued a decree and the census was to be taken. And of course, anybody in a position of authority in the government, they love money. Uh, And back at that time, there was a poll tax. If you were 14 years old to 75 years old, it was a flat tax. And you did this if you were just breathing. You paid this poll tax. Then there was an income tax. There were road taxes. There were bridge taxes. There were cart taxes. How big the cart was, you were taxed according to that. And you know, in California for us here, I don't know if you know this yet, but when you go to the gasoline pumps... It asks you to enter your mileage, right? If you use a card, it wants your mileage in there, and you can't buy the gas until you enter mileage. Do you know why they do that? They're preparing you to tax you by the mile. They want you to get used to it, and so they're going to do that. And that's just the way of the world. So these taxes are nothing new. They've been around since the time of Christ and before, but under the reign of Augustus Caesar, they wanted to make sure they just got a little more money. It wasn't the season to give, it was the season to take. Then we have the carpenter, Joseph, that I talked about, of course, and he is mentioned several times in several different contexts. And we understand that he was the earthly adopted father of Jesus Christ. But he was taking Mary to his hometown of Bethlehem. And this probably wasn't ordered by the Romans. This was probably ordered by the leaders of the Jews. And so they could keep a census of everybody according to their place of birth. And when they arrived at Bethlehem, we all know the story, there was no inn for them to stay or there's another name for it, but it's a name that is used for caravans going through towns and resting. And the way that those uh, inns would be set up is there would be this center area that would be open air. And around the perimeter, there would be raised floor areas that might be shelters, especially in the winter. Now, we know that the shepherds were watching their sheep at night in the fields surrounding Bethlehem, which means it was sometime in the spring. They would not be out there in the winter. And over in Israel, specifically in Bethlehem, the weather is much like it is here. Every once in a while, you know, I I can remember getting snow here uh, in Bethlehem. It's just the same way. You might get a drizzle of snow every once in 10 years, something like that. But the weather is almost almost exactly the same there as it is here and so if shepherds would be in the field would you be in the field last night i don't think so you would be hovering down somewhere in a tent or in a cave or in some type of house or in a shelter and so these people would show up and they'd go to these places that caravans would come through and of course there was no room for them in the end they couldn't rent one of these rooms and so they were probably in a cave somewhere or in some makeshift barn or shelter where the animals also would be or they put the animals on the inside they it's not clear where they would be and this idea of a manger even when we do little plays we have a manger And it's made out of wood and it looks like a little trough and you set it down and the baby Jesus is there. Jesus was probably laid inside of a hewn out stone trough in a rock. That's where he was placed because that's where they would put the feed for the cattle. And the cattle would go up there all sloppy and slobbery and they would eat in there. And Mary gave birth to this baby 
who's God, and you're going to place them in this animal trough. Now, these swaddling clothes, you know, it says in the NIV, which I read, it's just clothes. They wrap them in clothes. It's really not clothes. It's a four to six inch wide piece of material that's several feet long. And they believe that if you did not wrap the baby up during these biblical times, that the limbs would not grow straight. And so as soon as the baby was born, you have to wrap that thing up like a little cocoon is what you had to do, you know, all nice and tight. And they do that kind of like that. If you go down to the maternity ward and babies are being born, they take those blankets and they wrap those things around those little cocoons and You know, they're just laying there all tight and bundled up. Well, they did that back then too, only it was almost like Jesus' burial cloth. You know, they would wrap Jesus like that too when he died. But when he was born, he was wrapped like that. So he is this little papoose that was there just laying in this manger. And could you imagine being Mary, 14 years old, and the husband trying to keep her happy? We always think that it's just the glory of the Lord shone down and Mary just laid there and says, oh, baby Jesus. And baby Jesus was born. He came out and oh, held him up and wrapped him up and placed him in the stone. Are you kidding me? Is there not pain in childbirth? How about at 14 years old or 15 years old or a young teenager? Do you think there's going to be pain in childbirth? Absolutely there's going to be pain. I've been in birthing areas. I have heard the screams of women. I have heard them say, get it out of me. I've heard that, you know. And I'm going, oh, man, I'm glad all I had to do is work my whole life and not go through this thing that these women are going through. And, And so Mary, she was suffering a little bit because that's part of the curse and brought Jesus into the world. And of course, when he was there, they laid him, as I said, in the manger. And she probably looked at Joseph and said, now what? You know, what are we going to do now? We're out of here. There's, you know, it's a tough condition. And having to travel and she was, you know, we have this idea. And I've mentioned this on other Christmases before. It's depicted that Mary's on a burrow, on a donkey. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. Could you imagine being a pregnant woman? fully pushing maximum density, having to walk 80 miles. He had to take his bride 80 miles. And how would she be walking? Would she be walking like this? Or would she be walking like this? The whole way, saying, Joseph, hold up a second. And she'd have to sit down, you know, and and rest. And it took them a while to get there. And this idea that our media and books and pictures and everything has depicted, it's not how it was. And the three wise men, I've mentioned them briefly, they came two years later. They were not there at the manger scene. It was when Jesus was a little toddler running around before he knew what good and the evil was, before he was able to discern. He was just this little kid, and he was running around everywhere. You know a two-year-old. Can you keep a two-year-old out of stuff? No. I mean, in your house, they're probably getting into the cabinets and pulling out the pots and pans. We actually have pictures of one of our daughters inside the cabinets just yanking stuff out in there and that's probably how jesus was too as a curious little guy just working around mary at that time with the number of children that they ended up having between her and joseph she might have been pregnant again you know at that particular time with a two-year-old so imagine what life was like for her and again we know that they were poor and i'll give you some evidence for that 
a little later. So we see that this in and the swaddling cloths are closed. It, it paints a picture of what's going on in the countrymen, the shepherds that were out there that I talked about. There's a good chance that these shepherds were temple shepherds because it was only a few miles, about five miles from the temple, and every morning and every evening they would take a lamb and they would slaughter it. So they had to have their own flocks to do this. And these shepherds, it is thought that they remained in this area, the ones who supplied the sacrificial lambs for the temple. So that was kind of special that they were the ones that got to see the real lamb of God, not just a substitutionary lamb that they would raise out there, but the real lamb of God. Of God, And of course we have the celestial being that shows up, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and he gave them the news that Christ would be born, the Savior, and the one who would be Lord. And of course Lord is master, the one in charge, the one whom everyone is accountable, the one who sets the direction, the supreme authority. It can also be translated as owner, husband, or an idol. And that's who the Kyrios in the Greek is is speaking about in verse 13 says suddenly a great company company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests now who are those people on whom God's favor rests it is those who believe those who do not believe there really is never peace that is extended to them The world is in a state of precariousness or there's danger, which is there. They're never at peace. The thing that we need to be at peace with is the day of our own demise because there is this fear of death that the world has. I've experienced people that they do not want to look upon a loved one who has died. They say they want to remember them just as they were. There is this fear. And I understand that uh, people don't want to do that, but there is this fear that you have to face the day of your own destiny. All of us have to do that. Should the Lord tarry from our perspective and there is not the rapture of the church and we succumb to the forces in this world, namely disease and damage and death and those things are going to overtake us all one day unless we get raptured, we have to face that. We have to say, wow, one day I am going to die. If we are being wise, we have set up If we are married, we have set up life insurance. We have set up wills. We have set up powers of attorney. We have done all of those things to prepare for that day. And as you get older, you pay attention to those things because you want to make sure that those who survive you are taken care of. And so we do it in that fashion. But for many, it is a disturbing thing to do. And so this idea of peace It is not there. And it is the habit of many people when they start to deal with that, it becomes overwhelming and they can't. They want somebody else to handle it. And so God has his peace rest upon those people on whom his favor rests, which means we have, as believers, the favor of God. What do the people who do not belong to God have? Only the surety that judgment is to come. And that will last forever. Uh, I once emailed a pastor and asked him about the doctrine of total annihilation. And that, that doctrine states that once we die, God just ceases to have us exist. That we go out of existence. That we don't continue existing forever. Remember, we are made in the image of God. 
which means we will last forever. It just depends on where we will last. We either last in hell, where Matthew chapter 25 verse 46 says there will be eternal or everlasting punishment, or we land in heaven where God says there will be eternal or everlasting life. Those are the only two choices. I didn't make it up. That's what scripture says, and we get to choose. God says, let everyone decide. As for me and my house, Joshua said in the Old Testament, we will serve the Lord. And so we make this choice, and that's why peace comes to those who believe. We understand that even if we die tomorrow, that's why so many Christians in the past in history have freely given up their lives. They understand. It's, it's all right. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be with Christ the rest of the time, for all of eternity. And we can have peace with that. And if you are a believer today and you don't have that peace, my prayer for you is the Lord will just imbue you with that. That you will be able to just relax and say, God, whatever you want to put me through, that's okay. However I might suffer in this life, it's only going to be momentary. And it's only going to be light in comparison to eternity. And so we do not need to fear God is a gracious God, and he understands our suffering. And he actually limits the age of people in order to limit the suffering here on earth. That's why when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, that's it, and that day you eat thereof, you shall surely die, because he limits the evil which is out there. So we have this chorus, this heavenly brood which is up there and we don't know that they're singing necessarily they could just be stating it glory to god in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests verse 15 says when the angels had left them and gone into heaven and and by the way sing something like that how do you watch them go to heaven does the does the sky open up like a scroll just what would that look like And if it's at night, and maybe the moon's out, maybe it's not out, how bright would it be if heaven is opened up? You know, it's like some of these movies. You know, the the light that just shines, it's so white and bright and all-consuming. And you see that, what would you think? These shepherds were so affected. They go, let's go see. You know, what's, what's up with this kid who's born, this baby? Let's go find out. And so they were certainly impressed enough to just pick up. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them but mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told so they gave this confession they gave this witness they told everybody else that they knew what had happened because this was in fact A miracle. This was, in fact, something that God brought to them directly to be a witness. And this is the first point where you see some evangelists going out there, basically, not to get into the kingdom, but basically telling them the Messiah is here, the one born of God is here, and the understanding what those things mean would come later. And so they are bearing witness to the truth. And we are also called to bear witness to the truth, not just by our lifestyle, but also by our words. Now, I've heard this too from the lips of people where they think, 
it's all right, and they say, I'm just going to be a witness by the way that I live. You've got to trust me, no one gets into heaven by looking at the way you live. They get into heaven by what you say. You must live such a life that they have interest, that they say to you, so what's the deal? Like, for instance, have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, so why don't you cuss like everyone else? Or maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you should probably cut that part out of your life. But have you ever had somebody come up and ask you, why are you so happy all the time? Well, maybe you're not happy all the time, and maybe that needs to change too. But this idea, yeah, we're supposed to be a witness with our life, but it's what we say that ends up leading a person to Christ. And so we have to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within. Of course, this is in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says in verse 15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, which means we have to be disciples. We have to know what the Bible has to say. And you might say, well, wait, I have an objection. He was talking to the church. No, he was talking to the entire church because back up in verse 8, it says, finally, all of you. Right before that, he's talking to the husbands in First Peter chapter 3. But then he goes on to say, finally, all of you who are inside the church, be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within. So if we are being disciples, God wants us to do this. Now, again, if this lifestyle, if you believe it's just the lifestyle that will enable you to be that witness for Christ, we are mistaken in that type of view. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them in other words they have to say something and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news we are sent to the neighborhoods to the people in our communities we are all supposed to do the work of an evangelist even though we are not evangelists we are to be first by our lifestyle so that the word of god may not be maligned because people speak evil of us because of our lifestyle but then with that it's concomitant it comes alongside we are to give them the good news and for most people that is the most difficult thing to do you get all shaky like oh god's setting this up i can tell he's gonna want me to say something to witness to tell him how to get saved i know he's gonna do it it's coming and you get all nervous right if you've never done that before just relax say god give me wisdom help me to say something that is poignant pertinent lucid that they will be able to grab a hold of that they will relate to and so we need to be those witnesses to people are, who are out there. And not everybody can be witness to. Don't go out there and give a stranglehold to somebody. You need to hear this, Pastor Bill said so. You know, just relax. God will create the environment for you. People will ask questions. It could even be today. When you get together with family and friends, maybe they will ask you. So what about this Jesus? You know, you went to church today? It's Christmas, right? Just as a side note, I know of one church that canceled service today. And I thought to myself, what's the point? Isn't Christmas about Christ mass? It is. 
And so we want to take these opportunities. If somebody asks you, why did you go to church? Let me tell you, start off with that. Let me tell you why I went to church. I follow this God who is fantastic. He sent his son to die for me and I get to live forever. And it's just my way of showing appreciation that I can worship and fellowship with the believers in church. And you can be that eloquent. Not that that's eloquent, but you can be even more eloquent than me. And discussing that with people, God will give you wisdom in order to do that. So he has shown us that the goal of every Christian is to be able to communicate the gospel clearly at every opportunity that is presented to us. In verse 21, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And of course, both in Matthew and in Luke, the angel told, told both Mary and Joseph, this is to be his name because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, the woman was also supposed to go through this rite of purification in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6, and Mary would have been going through this. It reads, when the day of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she shall, she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the women who give birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. And of course, back up in verse 24, we just saw that she was bringing a pair of doves or two young pigeons. She didn't have enough money. This is how we know that they were poor because scripture tells us the required sacrifice. And it was the birds that were given, not the lamb. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, that was a custom of the law required or what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This idea of being a light for the Gentiles, it means the world is in darkness. The world is still in darkness. Just look at Google. They don't want the light. They don't want that presentation being out there. They want you to turn away from that. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want you to discuss it at any time 
whatsoever. If you're keeping up on the news, you know that there are Christians, especially around Christmas, they're getting rid of all mention of Christ in the schools. They don't want Christ there. After all, it's the separation of church and state. They even got rid of a Charlie Brown Christmas in one school. All the little artifacts in Charlie Brown because, you know, Linus, he quotes Luke chapter 2. And that's just unacceptable inside of a school setting. Remember I told you last night, if you were here, the Jewish woman who was the choir director, Mrs. Stewart, who is having us sing Christmas songs in a secular school. You do that today and there's probably going to be a lawsuit. And it's just terrible that our country has gotten to there. And may we be that bold witness and not shy back from proclaiming the name of Christ. Verse 33 says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so this is a prophecy for Mary. It's a hint that Jesus is going to go to the cross and that she would suffer because of Jesus. She would so love him, but she would be there also at the crucifixion. And so that's specifically what verse 35 talks about is the hint of the cross. Verse 36 says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And of course, from this point, we have Jesus going to the temple and at the temple, he said, did you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? Joseph and Mary had lost God and they had to go back and they had to find God. Could you, you imagine, where is he, Joseph? I don't know. I thought he was with you, Joseph. He was suppo- you were supposed to be watching after him because these caravans that would go to Jerusalem, you know, to these feasts that were required there, these caravans would go and all the kids going along the trail would play together. They would see each other and they would play and they'd stop and they'd throw stones and pick up sticks and they would all have all kinds of games as they were traveling along the road. And of course, when they left, they just figured probably that Jesus was with the other kids at 12 years old. They saw him and then when they left, he zipped out of there, went to the temple, right? And he was talking to the priests at the temple, if you're familiar with the story. If you're not, you can go ahead and read it here later. But they didn't know where he was. Where is he? Would you start to panic if you lost God? I think I would panic a little bit. You go all the way back to Jerusalem. Where is he? And you're looking everywhere for God. He's somewhere around here. Mary understood this, the importance. But at the same time, once she saw him and he said, Did you not know that it had to be about my father's business? It was clear from that statement in verse 49 that Jesus knew his calling at age 12. 
when did you know your calling? And have you since taken up the moniker over your life, I must be about my father's business? You see, he was forsaking everything, even at age 12. Like, ah, my parents will be fine. God will take care of them. I'm going to be about my father's business. And as adults, when we see this, we go, wow, I have to question myself, am I about my father's business? Remember, we have to live in this world. We have to survive. We have to have jobs. We pay bills. All of that is natural. But I mean, as the whole, the overarching theme of our lives is it, I follow Christ. I sacrifice for him and for the sake of his people and for those who don't know him. That's what Christ is calling us to. That is the gospel message. That's why it's important to review the life of Jesus Christ and specifically his birth. It's why he came here. It's why he wanted to make sure that we had the good news. God came himself to deliver that news to us. Now, as we go through the scripture, we want to make sure, as we go through these passages specifically, we want to remember and recall the birth of Christ, I believe, for one specific purpose that the Apostle Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. He wrote to the church at Colossae, and he says, he writes, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We don't have to go anywhere else for the wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom belongs to God, and I understand that not all wisdom and all knowledge that comes from God is in Scripture. I get that. But the Scripture is sufficient it will answer all of our questions that we have about life that we have about destiny that we have about origin that we have about morality god answers all of those things so my prayer for you this christmas is that you will grab hold of the birth of christ and its meaning that you understand he came for us that we might have life and have it more abundantly and with that we might bring others into the kingdom while doing his work. He'll provide the opportunities. And may he remove from you all doubt that you may not be able to speak, that you may not have the words to say to somebody who is in desperate need of the gospel, that you will not be afraid to offer assistance in spiritual matters, that you will freely pray for those who come and ask for it. And even when they don't, that you will remember to do so. So this is my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, we give you wisdom, or we give you thanks for the wisdom that you provide for us, that you have so blessed us with life eternal. Help us, Lord, to communicate this gospel, that people may freely accept the gift of life by simply asking you for it. And may none go from this place feeling like they haven't been blessed because you haven't touched them. I pray that you would, Lord. I pray that you would reach inside, that you would minister to every heart that is in this room, that you would bless this day ahead, that you would fill us full of joy. And may, however we celebrate Christmas, be a witness to those who are around us. And a final prayer, Lord, for those, again, who are alone, away from family, 
who do not have the luxuries of being in four walls, for the soldiers who are doing their job, and for those who are ministering, even now, to those who have nothing. May your hand be upon them. Lift them up. Encourage them. Give them words of wisdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things, Father. And everyone said...